It is the fourth edition of BetQLU, the first ever college basketball betting podcast on BetQL. Download the BetQL app today. You can follow BetQL on Twitter at BetQL app. You can follow Thomas Casali, my co-host, uh, at the Tom Casali. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Talking college basketball with you for the next 40, 50 minutes here on BetQLU. Thomas, how's it going today, man? Ah, feeling good, Eli. Feeling good. We, uh, you know, we're coming off a, a pretty good week uh, picking games. Let's try to do it again. Can I vent to you for a second before we get into some college hoops? Sure. So I worked out hardcore for the first time in like a few months on Friday, and I did some bench press, <laughs> and my bicep has been killing me for the last, like, literally killing me. I felt like I tore my bicep. For the last three days, now it's starting to get back to normal. How do you feel about I, that? I would love to see you bench press. I really, but there's only three things I do well in life, and one of them is bench pressing. And when you told me you weighed 150 pounds, I used to curl that. So I would, please, is there any chance that you and I could bench press together and we could put that video online? I, I'll pay any amount of money after the pandemic's over. No, but you could be my trainer. I'll take that if you want. But I did do curls yesterday, and my biceps hurt too. So I guess we're in the same boat. I was probably curling with one arm, which you were bench pressing. That's enough. Let's relax over there, Tom. Uh, let, let's dive into the college basketball card on a Tuesday. A huge Big 12 game. So here's a quick little rundown of what we're going to do on today's BetQL. We'll dive into West Virginia, Texas Tech. Just a quick couple minutes as the game is later tonight as we're recording on a Tuesday. We'll get into a bunch of games on tomorrow, Wednesday's card a game for Thursday, and then some futures conversation. And former college basketball coach Jimmy Patsos of the MAC, and also a former assistant at Maryland is going to talk some college hoops with us too. I know he's got some good stories about some current college basketball coaches and which teams he thinks can actually win it all. But let's get it uh, started here, man, with uh, Texas Tech and West Virginia. Tech currently a six-point favorite, a little juice on their end. Obviously, West Virginia, therefore a six-point dog. Mountaineers are plus 210 on the money line, total of 141.5. I have a bet on West Virginia, Tom. I'll, I'll take it at six, and I might wait to see if or somehow if somehow this one gets up to six and a half. But your perspective on the game tonight. Yeah, I think six is a, is a pretty good number to take on this game. I, I'm not betting it personally. You know, I think uh, West Virginia is going to have to shoot the ball well and, and get on the boards against Texas Tech. I know sometimes West Virginia has an issue with rebounding. I they, these two played, you know, a while, just a couple weeks ago. And Texas Tech was winning that game pretty easily. And West Virginia stormed back. I see these two teams look kind of even to me. You know, I, I don't give one team a big edge or another. So I can see taking the six points here. To that point, West Virginia closed or Texas Tech closed as, as around a one and a half point favorite in that game. They opened at plus one and a half, plus two on the road in Morgantown. Like you mentioned, West Virginia wins that game by a point. They don't cover the opening line. They cover the close as a dog. West Virginia didn't miss a shot the last eight minutes plus of that game. And Miles McBride was inc incredible, 25-plus points, a bunch of assists as well. Just hit some big shots off ball screens. And I think West Virginia's offense has adapted since Oscar Shibway left the program about a month and a half ago. Their four-guard lineup is playing really well. We saw that against a desperate Kansas team on Saturday. And Texas Tech's no-middle defense really translates to West Virginia's three-point opportunities. They're going to get a lot of three-point looks. The question is, can they hit enough shots? Do they hit it at the consistency at the rate they did against Texas Tech going back to a couple weeks back when they overcame that 12-point deficit like you mentioned, Tom? 
I, I don't know if the number, the, the percentage for West Virginia is as good from three in this game, but against a no-middle defense, you're going to get your fair share of looks. The offense suits uh, sets up well against this type of defense because they have the guards to make shots. I think this line's a little inflated because of the revenge spot narrative. I agree. And, you know, we look back at that game. Texas Tech got a little unlucky in that game, then got a lot lucky in the next game against LSU in a game I had. So the thing to me is I think the market's a little higher on Texas Tech than I am. Ken Palm has this at four. That's where I set the number two, four, four and a half maybe. So, I again, I do think there's value at six. I don't know. You're probably talking to me, and I'll probably bet it. I appreciate that. And then I'll get like a couple angry texts throughout the game. Why the fuck did I bet West Virginia? Tom's going to curl like a 200-pound weight and throw it at my face the next time we see each other. So I'll be honest. I can't. This show's ruined. I can't get that image of you bench pressing out of my head. Why is it that absurd to you? <laughs> I don't know. Because you said you weighed 150 pounds. I got a, I got a 10-year-old weighs almost that much. Hey, man. You got to stay fit, right? You got to try to stay fit, especially during a pandemic. Uh, so that's our breakdown for West Virginia, Texas Tech. Let's get into the Wednesday card now. First game up, we have a couple bets down, but in terms of like chronological order for the card, Virginia at Georgia Tech. A huge game in the ACC, at least for Georgia Tech's NCAA tournament chances. It seems like the line is going to open at UVA minus four. That's what Ken Palm projects it at. It might be a little inflated. They're coming off back-to-back wins against NC State last week, and then Pitt on Saturday didn't cover that game, but nearly did. Won the game by seven, line closed at around nine, nine and a half. But this is a revenge spot for Georgia Tech. They they uh they won by Virginia won by two in that first matchup. Georgia Tech was around a, a three possession dog in that game too. And Georgia Tech had a late lead, just collapsed down the stretch. Would you consider betting the Yellow Jackets in a must-win spot, or are you staying away? I would consider it. The I don't know if this line's big enough for me. You you know my feelings on the coaching of Georgia Tech. The, but, you know, I did watch the last time they played, and it, that was an even game. The Those two teams looked dead even to me. Uh, Virginia just got the win there. The I don't know if four, four and a half is going to be enough for me to bite. But if I was going to take the game, I'd take Georgia Tech. And one of the things I, I like with them playing Virginia is they have an edge on the boards rebounding. Uh, the, the only thing I don't like is that Georgia Tech and Virginia are each kind of similar offensively, man. Georgia Tech has those long stretches where they don't score. And when you do that against Virginia, that that's enough for you to get blown out of the game. So that would be my only my only issue. The the other thing I do I like too though is you know my thing on turnovers. Virginia doesn't really cause any turnovers, and Georgia Tech doesn't turn the ball over. So you're not wasting possessions with Georgia Tech against against Virginia in that game. So I lean Georgia Tech, but I'd probably a stay away for me. I think this line opens at around four, four and a half, five. Even like I mentioned, maybe it gets sped up a little bit. But the way Georgia Tech played in that game, if the market respects Georgia Tech, it's going to probably close around four. This is kind of similar to the Florida State game going back a couple weeks ago on that Saturday where Georgia Tech upset Florida State. Then the Seminoles go on that COVID layoff. How do you beat a pack line defense, man? It's You got to hit threes. And Georgia Tech overall in in, uh, in conference play, they're averaging the third highest three-point percentage. And they got the fourth highest three-point scoring rate. So Alvarado, DeVoe, those guys are going to get looks against this type of defense because Virginia wants to limit penetration. That's, that's what the pack line defense is. So I like it from that perspective. And in a revenge spot, in the must-win spot for Georgia Tech, where they played really well in that Virginia game, you're getting a couple possessions at home most likely. Maybe it closes around three and a half, but I think you, you can probably find a four, four and a half 
during the day or maybe on the opener. So I like the Yellow Jackets in this game. I'll be on Georgia Tech and your boy, Josh Pastner. Yeah, and just going on the opposite end of three-pointers. I mean, we talk about Virginia's defense, but they're actually the number one shooting three-point team in uh, ACC play. So Georgia Tech can struggle guarding that three-point line sometimes. If Virginia gets hot from three, going to be a long night. That's a good point. On to the next game. You don't have a bet on this one yet. I don't have a bet on this one yet. Rutgers at Iowa. A huge game in the Big Ten, especially for Iowa and for Rutgers. They've won four in a row after losing six straight. Iowa is coming into this one. Losers of four of their last five games. Luca Garza didn't play the last 12 minutes of that first half against Indiana. And Fran McCaffrey was acting like it was a dumb question in the press conference. Why did he bench Luca Garza with two fouls down the stretch in the first half? That led Indiana back into the game. And Indiana wins in the, in the final seconds on that Armand Franklin jump shot after Bohannon tied the game with about 20 seconds to go. So a massive game for Iowa. But the key for this one to me is whether C.J. Frederick is going to play. I'm trying to get inside info as we speak on the podcast. If you look at the record right now for Iowa this season and overall when Frederick doesn't play, it's pretty it's pretty uh, alarming. And you, we both know how much of an impact he makes at both ends of the floor. But Iowa overall, when uh, when Frederick was first suited up, going back to his freshman days, Iowa is 29-9 when C.J. Frederick is available for a whole game and 4-8 and eight when he's not throughout his entire career. 13-2 this season with Frederick and 0-4 without him. We saw it against Ohio State last week. We saw it against Indiana over the weekend. I don't want to say it's that simple of a cap because Iowa's probably going to – maybe this line is a little underinflated. Maybe Iowa opens at around 6, 6.5. I've seen some 7 on the openers. It's It kind of is that simple for me. If Frederick plays, I stay away. If he doesn't, I probably take Rutgers. Yeah, a couple of things here. One, you mentioned him playing the whole game, and I'm, I get concerned there because even the games he's played, he hasn't played a full game uh, since he's been injured. So that, that concerns me. The other thing is this. For Ken Palm to have Iowa number five right now is absolute nonsense. This team is trash. Let me, let me tell you something. They went on that winning streak. These are the teams they beat. Northwestern, struggling Rutgers, Maryland, Minnesota, Northwestern. Those are dog teams. Then they started the schedule started getting harder. They've lost four of five. The only win is against a struggling Michigan State team. So I don't get it. This team to me looks like one great player and a bunch of stiffs. That that's what I see. I I don't think they're I don't think they're even close to challenging for a title. And I tell you one thing, they better win some of these games down the stretch against Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan. Are they going to be playing in the eight nine game come come March? You look at that defense in the second half against Indiana. I mean, the latter part of the first half, when this team struggles to score with Garza on the bench, they look like an NIT team or maybe worse than that. So if Garza gets in foul trouble, if you go back to that first matchup, Garza really dominated in the second half. And Iowa closed as around a two and a half point favorite because Ron Harper was active. He was questionable whether he was going to play. They got one of their stretch threes as well in that game in McConnell, who's been playing really well, hit a couple big jump shots down the stretch in that Minnesota game last Thursday when the Golden Gophers collapsed in the second half a little bit. Geo Baker, man, is a huge difference maker in this game, especially if Frederick doesn't play. He looks healthy. Jacob Young, even though he has his turnover problems, looks healthy. Ron Harper Jr. isn't hitting jumpers as consistently as he was to begin the season, but he looks healthy. Rutgers looks healthy. And if you could throw Omarui and Miles Johnson at Garza, I think Rutgers can keep this thing within a couple possessions. But if Frederick plays, it's probably a stay away. I think they can win. The thing with the thing that makes Iowa so hard to lay points with is this: they do have, they have they have the best player in college basketball down low. We know that, 
But when they're not hitting their three-pointers, they don't have the defense to make up for that. So to me, they always everything has to go right for Iowa to cover big numbers. They have to be, you know, they have those games where they can shoot from half court and they, and they go in. Yeah, when they're doing that, they're going to win games, no doubt about it. But it's hard to rely on that. And like you said, when, when Garza was out of the game, there's just no who you, who's going to shoot the ball. I, I don't know. I, I don't see it. I wouldn't lay. I, I got. I they they burnt me in the Indiana game. I laid a few points there, and they burnt me. I wouldn't lay points with this team again. If they were an underdog in certain situations, maybe. But I'm I'm certainly not laying six, seven, eight points with that defense. Rutgers, yes. They haven't faced elite competition in their last four games, and maybe you could say the market is a little too high on them on the opener where Iowa currently is sitting at minus six and a half, and the market might be a little low on Iowa, even though this line is still two possessions. But Rutgers, the beginning of the regular season, after they beat Illinois, they were 7-1 and one, and 3-1 and one in conference play. That was a huge win at home against Illinois, uh, then a, then a five-point win against an up-and-coming Purdue team that I think is going to be pretty good in the Big Ten next season. I like Rutgers as a, as a buy-low futures bet right now, especially if they go into Iowa City and win this game tomorrow. Again, because of the guard play, this is one of the best defenses in the country, 17th lowest adjusted defensive efficiency on Kempom. The offense still has a bit of ways to go, but the guard play, you're getting probably your best price on the game before the Iowa game, the first Iowa game, when they were around 90-1 to on points bet. So if you're looking for a college basketball future because of the way this team defends, I know they can't shoot free throws, but it's, I, think it's a, I think it's a good number. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I mean, Iowa's 13-6, and six, Rutgers is 11-6. and six. Take the names off the jersey. Can I argue Rutgers is the better team right now? They look better to me when I watch them. So I think we get too stuck on what these preseason rankings were. and all. I, I, don't, I only care what you look like now, and Iowa doesn't look good. I, I'll still say, if Frederick plays, it's a stay away from me. If he doesn't, the market is going to immediately react. On to the next game on the card, your first bet. For Wednesday's slate, Tom, is Missouri at Ole Miss. And I want to pull up the opener for you. It is sitting at Mizzou. So actually, Ole Miss opens as a favorite on the, again, soft opener. Ole Miss minus one and a half, total of 134. Yeah, this is going to be a small play for me based on the spot. The If you look at what Missouri's coming off of uh, the last three games, they had the overtime game against TCU. Then they had Kentucky, and Kentucky is always Kentucky, no matter how good they are to a team like Missouri. And then they had that big game against Alabama where they got out to the, to the large lead and had to hold on. This just seems like a, one of those sleepy spots for me, going to – going to Mississippi. You know, Mississippi started to play a little bit better, won four or six. Remember, uh, Eli, you know, this was a team I talked to you about before the start of the season. They have a lot of transfers coming in. So I think it's taken them a while to get going here. They've won four or six. They're coming off wins against Tennessee and Auburn. So I do like the spot. The problem is, man, these man, these two teams, sometimes they shoot, they can't make a shot. This could be an ugly game. The, you know, Mississippi is one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country. Missouri's not much better. So it, it's really going to depend on if Mississippi is is hitting their shots because I don't think they have a big edge down low. I like their defense against uh, Missouri. They do create some ball pressure, and Missouri can turn the ball over. I think that's where the game's going to be won, especially if Missouri comes in and they're not mentally focused. You know I'm a big Missouri fan, but I'm going to take the spot here. I mean, just think about it. What's Mississippi doing as a one-and-a-half-point favorite over a team that just beat Kentucky and Alabama? It doesn't make any sense. Hold your nose. Take Mississippi. 
I'm with you. I'll have a bet on Ole Miss in this game. Devontae Schuler and Rodriguez. Rodriguez had that sick dunk against Tennessee when they upset the balls last week. Both great at ball pressure and creating turnovers and getting steals and getting out on the break. So I agree. Like this is a an undervalued Mississippi team. I know they struggled after that really hot start in non-conference play. Started out five and one, dropped five of their next six after the Tennessee Martin win in late December. So the market's kind of reacting to their hot play of later, at least to adapting, like you said, Tom, with a with a new set of transfers. They have Romello White, who transferred from ASU. I think it's taken them a little bit of time to adapt offensively, a really good defensive big in his own right. That's the thing, too. Mizzou wants to score down low. They dominated an Alabama team that didn't have Jordan Bruner again. He's missed about the last two, three weeks. He's going to be out another three weeks, probably, in SEC play before he hit conference, the conference tournament and the, the NCAA tournament. But Mississippi is allowing the lowest two-point scoring rate in SEC play, and Mizzou is averaging the, the fifth highest. That's what they did with Jeremiah Tillman and those those guards getting to the lane. And to your point, too, about turnovers, Mississippi is averaging the second highest uh, opponent's turnover rate in conference play. And Mizzou with the just a below average turnover rate in conference play. But Drew Smith, Mark Smith, and Pinson, they're all averaging 18% turnover rate at the least. So a lot of these guards turn over the ball, and these Ole Miss guards should take advantage at getting turnovers, creating turnovers, and getting on in transition. Yeah, no doubt about it. One of the better defensive teams in the country. If you haven't seen them play, they play at a slow pace. So if Missouri's not hitting their shots, it's going to be tough for them to come back in this game. One thing I wanted to ask you, though, do you you said uh, the early opener is one and a half on Mississippi. You think that line's going to go towards Missouri? Yes, I, yeah. I think it closes it around a pick. Me too. Okay, so we'll both be waiting to try to get the best of the number maybe tomorrow morning, as in Wednesday morning as we're recording this on a Tuesday. Next game on the card is UConn to discuss. UConn at Providence. Maybe just a couple quick notes because neither of us will probably have a bet on this game. James Booknight, one of the best players in college basketball. He's back after dealing, I believe, with an elbow injury. He's back for the first time in about a month, four to five weeks. Could you plug your nose and take Providence? Could you think about it? Let's see what the opener is. Providence plus one and a half at home. So you kind of short road favorite with a total of 133. You're asking me if I'm going to take Providence. Didn't I tell you on Saturday, if they don't beat St. John's, they're on my happy Gilmore-like list. They're number one on that list. I mean, I wouldn't bet Providence with your money. The They're done. With you. <laughs> you sure about that? The, I'm done with them. The, I think this is actually a pretty good spot to back UConn with Booknight coming back. The Their offense has struggled without them. The Providence is – they had a great spot on Saturday with St. John's coming. I mean, they just look terrible. Uh, two games in a row. They lost to Georgetown. They've lost four of five. Um, they're, they're, they're lost seven and nine overall. I, this team is just floundering. And UConn, with it getting their best player back, I think it's a pretty good spot. I mean, I know it's going to be a public play probably, but I think it's a pretty good spot to back UConn. The only way I'll play devil's advocate is if Jared Bynum plays. He missed another game for Providence against St. John's. They had a lot of turnovers as a result. And they're bottom, just below average in conference play in turnover rate. And uh, UConn will turn you over, especially with Buck Knight, an underrated defender in his own right. So I, I would agree. I think maybe a slight edge to UConn. But if Bynum plays, I probably don't. I probably just stay away from the game. Yeah, I'm not going to bet it, but I'm I'm giving the edge to UConn. I'll give the edge to anybody who plays Providence. Fair enough. They're on the Happy Gilmore do not bet list. 
Rhode Island at St. Louis. You're up here, Tom. Yeah, you know, I took St. Louis on on Saturday, and I mentioned that could be a that could be one of those games where they turn the season around against a good St. Bonaventure team. They won that game by 11 points. I, I'm going to ride them again here. The I think they're getting on a little bit of a run, and if they win this game, there's not going to be a lot of value moving forward taking them. So I'm going to try to grab one more game of value here. Uh, the reason I like it too is. I don't know. The market seems to be much higher on Rhode Island than I am. Uh, this team, I mean, the the only two wins they've had since early January were against Fordham and LaSalle. Uh, they're coming off two home games that they lost to UMass and VCU. Now they're going on the road against a St. Louis team that has their legs back after the COVID situation. I, I don't know. I think the wheels are about to come off for Rhode Island, and I'm going to grab St. Louis. Uh, Ken Palm's got that five. Anything six or under, give me the Billikens to win two in a row here. Well, the opener for St. Louis is eight with a little bit of juice on the Billikens. So is that a stay away for you or are you going to bet it? <sighs> I don't know. That's, that's a little <laughs> higher than I thought. Let's see where that line goes. Uh, it, maybe that maybe that brings, down, brings it down a little bit. I was expecting around six points, to be honest with you. I still might play it, but that won't be as big of a play as, as it normally would have been at six. Be honest. Did you almost bring out the punching bag when I told you the line was eight? Well, it's uh, you know it doesn't really surprise me because I know St. Louis has been a little bit overvalued in the market uh, before the COVID. So that's why I liked them on Saturday. I thought it was one of the few times we were getting some value with the line. I honestly, when I was capping this game, I, I honestly believe it's going to be a blowout. I think St. Louis is going to win this game by 20-plus. So I don't know if the eight's going to make me shy away. I'll have at least a little bit of money on it. Let's just say that. This isn't going to be one of my whoppers. The market's high on St. Louis. We saw it on Saturday against a good St. Bonaventure team, closed at around three and a half, four as a favorite. And they're they're closing, probably going to close around seven and a half, eight. I, I, maybe a little money comes in on Rhode Island, but not enough to get this line down, to me at least, to seven or six and a half. On to the Thursday card, man. A big matchup in the Pac-12, and we'll both have a bet on this game. Colorado at Stanford. I don't remember the last time we both felt, I guess actually last week, pit against Virginia Tech. That was a big bet for for both of us on last Tuesday's podcast. The Buffs, we don't have a, an opener right now, but I think Stanford currently is favored by one. Maybe Colorado's a, a slight favorite on Kempom. Yeah, Colorado a two-point favorite, according to Kempom, at Stanford on Thursday. I I haven't bet much Pac-12. I say that all the time, but man, do I love Stanford here. This is one of my favorite plays of the year. When the reason I like it is this. Colorado, not the same team on the road. This is their first road game in about a month. And now you're getting a healthy Stanford team. I feel like this is the, this is the most healthy Stanford's been in a while. So, man, I just love this spot. One of my favorite, I don't know if I'll have a, a better spot that I like all season. I just love Stanford in this spot. Uh, I, I think they're starting to play a little bit better. You know, they lost a couple close games to Arizona State and USC, games they were right in till the end, and they beat Cal twice in a row. But I, I think Stanford is a team that maybe you start looking at getting on a little bit of a run here, but great spot with Colorado hitting the road for the first time in a month. I'm with you. I think a healthy Stanford team might Man, USC is playing really good ball, too, with Evan Mobley, one of the best yeah. freshmen in the country. But if Zaire Williams is healthy and he's playing for Stanford, probably maybe the second best. I think they could challenge USC right now in the in the, in the Pac-12. And, and US, or UCLA isn't healthy right now either. They missed a couple of big pieces in that USC game when they lost by double digits over the weekend. I think USC closed at, at around minus 5.5, minus 6, which was surprising to some. But then when you look at the injury report, 
not so much. But to your point, Stanford got Wills back against Cal. That was like the postmortem Super Bowl bet for a lot of people because a lot of people lost money on the Chiefs. Cal closed at like plus nine and a half after opening at minus or plus 11 and a half on Sunday. And they were down by 18 in the second half and they backdoored, only lost by six points. One of those runs, kind of like BYU and Gonzaga last night. But Stanford has a size advantage in this game. They have the highest two-point scoring rate in Pac-12 play. Colorado giving up the third highest two-point scoring rate. So that's pretty much how much how many points you're giving up inside the arc. And with De Silva and Delaire, and if Zaire Williams plays, which I think it's up in the air, probably leaning towards a no, Stanford might close like minus two, minus two and a half. And I still wouldn't be afraid to bet Stanford within a possession against this team. Yeah, again, it's just, it's a tremendous spot. The one thing that worries me, you know, Stanford does turn the ball over quite a bit and and Colorado can generate turnovers, lead to easy buckets. That that would be my one concern. But I I just like looking at these teams that play better at home than away. Uh, You look at uh, Colorado's losses this year. The, I think they have like what do they have five or four five losses and four of them have been on the road. So you know just a different team when you get them out of Boulder. And like we said, Stanford seems like this seems like the right time to jump on Stanford. So I I'm gonna I've been staying away from the Pac-12, but I feel like we got a spot to hit right here. I'm with you. And one really quick note on the Pac-12 or on the on the Friday card that is St. Bonaventure at VCU, a pretty big game in the A10. Uh, any any thoughts on this game? I know VCU is playing Dayton tonight, so tough to gauge. We don't know what kind of spot this is going to be for the Rams. And St. Bonaventure coming off that loss over the weekend to St. Louis. Yeah, I lean a little bit to St. Bonaventure, and it might be because I saw that first game where they won 70-54. Uh, they changed defenses in that game yep. uh, in the second half, and boy, VCU could not make a shot. I haven't seen a team that cold, uh, maybe Providence two games ago against Seton Hall, but they could not hit anything in that game, so that's kind of sticking with me. And I also think St. Bonaventure is a good team, like we mentioned on Saturday. thought that was a tough spot going into a St. Louis playing the St. Louis team that needed a win, you know, on the road. I like them to bounce back here and beat VCU again. Yeah, I'm with you. Kempon makes this line, I believe VCU is a slight favorite by two points. So I know this might be a a revenge spot, kind of similar to what we were talking about with West Virginia, Texas Tech. But I like like the Rams guards just overall and long-term. I'm bullish on this VCU team, big picture-wise, down the road in, in the coming seasons with Highland and Baldwin, really good freshman guard for VCU, but they have the highest turnover rate in the A-10, to your point. And when St. Bonaventure switched defenses, they created a ton of turnovers in that game. St. Bonaventure has the fifth highest opponent's turnover rate in A-10 play. So uh, might be a play, might not, depending on where the line's at on Friday, but a little look to St. Bonaventure, man. They're, they're guards. I, I know a lot of people were talking up with uh, Richmond and St. Louis. I know you have a future on St. Louis. Hopefully they can get into the tournament for you. But these guards for St. Bonaventure with Holmes and Lofton, and some of their bigs. Um, I think St. Bonaventure is kind of a scary team if they get into the tournament with their experience. The A-10 has some sneaky good teams to maybe make a little bit of a run of the dance, especially if St. Louis sneaks in. So that's our breakdown for this week, and we'll be on at BetQLU app on Twitter and on the BetQL Facebook page to break down Saturday's card and on Saturday morning from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern time before all those games tip. So before we get to one of our favorite guests, and he hasn't even been on the podcast, and I already know he's going to be a great guest. Uh, let's break down quickly the futures market, man. There are a few teams right now on COVID layoff. Baylor is off the rest of the week. They were supposed to play West Virginia in a back-to-back home and away against the Mountaineers. Michigan is still off. They were going to play Illinois this week. 
Florida State is still off. I mentioned that coming off that Georgia Tech loss a couple weeks back. Texas is not off, but they're still 17 to 1 after losing three of their last four games. And Ohio State is 13 to 1, and they're playing really good basketball after beating Maryland last night. So the reason why I bring up all those teams, Baylor plus 290 now at, at Camby to win the title, the shortest odds to win the national title in college basketball. Michigan 10 to 1. Ohio State 13 to 1. Texas 17 to 1. Florida State 20 to 1. When I give you all those teams, COVID layoff or not, what stands out? Well, I think it's Ohio State. The you know they you're looking for teams that maybe are peaking at the right time, and I, I know you're gonna you're not as high on Ohio State. One of the things that, that I just keep thinking back is I had a future on them last year, and I've said this over and over. There's just something that wasn't right with that team last year. I couldn't really pinpoint it, uh, but but they underachieved quite a bit. This year they're overachieving. And I, I like the way they play defense. Uh, they do a lot of things right. Like when I watch Ohio State, I'm thinking this is good basketball. Uh, so that's an interesting team. They started getting hot towards the end of January. And I know when you're going into the tournament, you're looking for those teams peaking at the right time. I know we talked about maybe one of your picks, Boise State, maybe peaking a little too early. We'll see how that turns out. Maybe Texas, right, peaked a little too early. So I think Ohio State's intriguing. We'll see how they uh, see how they do the rest of the way. I, I know uh, this is your uh, 2021 Baylor. You're going to go against Ohio State until they cut the nets down like Baylor would have last year um, without if, if the tournament hadn't been canceled. Um. No comment, but with Ohio State, uh, the one issue I have with the Buckeyes is their perimeter defense. They're giving up the second lowest uh, three-point percentage in conference play of 30.9%, but you go back to that Maryland game on Monday, Terps had a ton of good looks. 5-19 from three, though. They just couldn't hit threes. They're pretty inconsistent from three. That's why I like the Terps in the game, because I knew they were going to get some, some good looks from three. They just couldn't connect. Ohio State's perimeter defense is not as good as the numbers say. Like if Indiana, who's pretty inconsistent in their own right from three on Saturday, if Indiana hits their fair share of threes, Penn State could shoot the three ball just looking at their upcoming matchups. If it's Ohio State and Michigan in a couple Sundays, which is going to be a huge Big Ten game, that's going to be awesome to watch if they're, if Michigan is back from the COVID layoff, which you, you would assume it would be. Michigan can hit its threes. So from that perspective, I'm low on Ohio State. But I will say, Chris Holtman, we talk about like elite young coaches in college basketball. I was high on Holtman a couple of years ago when Ohio State started off kind of hot. Then they simmered down in Big Ten play. They they beat Iowa State as in a in a six versus eleven game, and they gave a Houston team that was that almost beat Kentucky in the Sweet Sixteen that year a lot of problems. And you had one of the most inconsistent bigs on the team in college basketball, and Caleb Wesson. And then you go back to the year before that with Kata Bates Diop. They almost beat Gonzaga in the round of thirty two. And that's a product of Chris Holtman to me, not really of that roster, just his ability to get the most out of less with what Ohio State has brought to the table in the last like three or two or three years. Obviously, we didn't have an NCAA tournament last year. So I think he's a great coach. I just think from the perspective of what Ohio State has done lately in Big Ten play, the market is overvaluing them a little bit because the matchup hasn't been right for this team to get exposed from behind the arc. No, and if you look at, Listen, we all have the metric that we follow on Ken Palm, right? It, there's only certain teams that can win the championship. They have to be ranked as a top 30, right, Eli, the offense and defense efficiency? More so, I would say, it, no, for sure top 30, but I think you go back to maybe the last 12 out of 13 champions, it's like they're both in, or they're, they're inside the top 20 in adjusted O and adjusted D. Okay, yeah, and so that's the metric we look at, and you're looking at Ohio State sitting at 65. 
right? And a couple things that pop up to uh, pop out to me, and everyone lo- knows I love my turnovers. They they don't create turnovers and they don't create steals. They're near the bottom of the country in both of those categories. It's something I look at because I it, when you make a run in the tournament, there's going to be those games where you might not shoot well and you need to create some easy points. They don't do that. So to you know if, to to back your argument that. You know, if they're not, if guys aren't missing threes against them and they're not red hot, maybe they don't get that, those easy buckets in a, in a close game in the tournament. So that I can see. And uh, the 65 in defensive efficiency does, uh, does bother me a little bit if you're looking at this Ohio State team. It's a great point because you think about people are saying, okay, Ohio State's a one seed. So they're going to, they have a chance to beat Baylor because they could play five out and they could play versus Gonzaga. You're going to play up and down with Gonzaga and they're physical. Don't get me wrong. Ohio State has bigs to match up like key, what he did to Garza a little less than a week ago against Iowa on the road in Iowa city. If you can't turn anybody over, like you're not, you're not going to beat, like you might get to the final four. Let's say Ohio State gets a one seed, doesn't get upset. And I'll be betting against Ohio State if they have a one seed and maybe the route of 32, even that early. Um, you're not, you're not going to beat a Baylor or Gonzaga if you can't turn the opponent over, if they even get that far to the Final Four and they match up against one of those teams. On, on top of that, too, like I like these guards that Ohio State has. Dwayne Washington has improved a lot from last year. EJ Liddell is better than Caleb Weston already. Justice Ewing, the Cal transfer, who's played well at both ends, a little inconsistent against Maryland. Justin Arns, though, is the key to the, is the key to this team because he had some big threes against Maryland. And when he's on, then they can completely space the floor especially when Liddell's is stretching the floor and Kyle Young too. So I like the makeup of this team, but they can't defend the three well as the numbers say, and they can't turn you over. So if you're telling me Ohio State is going to be able to play up and down against Gonzaga and Baylor, and they're not going to turn them over, and they're 13 to one in the futures market, no chance. Do not bet that price at all. Yeah, that's the that's the key point is it doesn't matter what they're doing now. It matters how they match up with teams in March, right? And the you're basically looking who are the teams that can beat Baylor and Gonzaga because they're not the chances of them going out early in the tournament aren't good. So you're going to have to face either one or two of those teams at some point. And to be honest, we can talk about futures all we want. You can count on one hand the teams that are going to be able to beat Baylor or Gonzaga. It's time to start placing smarter bets, more profitable bets. If you're an experienced sports better or someone who's just starting out, BetQL is here to help us all become better bettors. BetQL runs hundreds of thousands of simulations and rates each potential bet on a scale of one to five stars. One star? Maybe skip that game. Five stars? That's like a big green light telling you to go. Look, you wouldn't torture your stomach with a one-star restaurant. Don't do it to your wallet. Get access to data and insights the sportsbooks don't want you to see. We're talking about real, proven analytics here. Not some hot takes from a random guy online. BetQL's computer model analyzes every bet every day to find you the best opportunities. Pro and college games, football, basketball, and more. You can sort by sport or choose from a list of the best bets available right now in real time. So before sitting down to watch your favorite sports, see if the data backs up your betting instincts. Bet smarter and beat the books with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit betql.com today so tom we've broken down the card for the rest of the week we talked west virginia texas tech we talked futures but now it's time for the most important part of the show one of our favorite guests even though he's never been on the show before and our first guest our inaugural guest on betqlu jimmy patsos at coach patsos on twitter he's a former maryland assistant 
from 1991 to 04, then at Loyola, Maryland uh, from 04 to 2013, and then Siena uh, for the last six years or so, and now currently an analyst at NBC Sports Washington. How's it going today, Coach? It's good. Well, you know, we had the Wizards win, so that's very good. They fight back. They're 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 gonna, you know, with ten teams making the NBA playoffs, hope you have a little more hope because usually there's eight, so there's ten. The Wizards won. Beal Bradley Beal put up thirty five, and he kind of called out his teammates. Time to get tougher. And then I'm a big Maryland Terrapins fan. I worked for Gary Williams. We went to two Final Fours. By the way, I'm going to talk to Tom about. I agree with Tom. A lot of situations you need, you know, defense and how you get to the final four, how you make the run, the sweet 16, the final four thing. But I was there, but Maryland lost last night to Ohio state, Ohio state. I did not think was that good early in the year. I was wrong. I was incorrect. They are very good. You know, they got inside outside guys. They're deep. They play defense. And I really like Chris does a good job coaching. So Mike, going into this show, happy that the Wizards won. The Terps are on the bubble firmly and have to make a move. That's my state of mind. Mike, my first question for you. If you have to compare Chris Holtman to Mark Turgeon, what's one adjective that you would use to compare the two coaches? That's that's a good question, you know, because it's funny. They're, they're both I, – I think they're similar because they'll they'll play defense and they'll grind it out. And I heard Tom before say Ohio State was a little disappointing last year. I would say similar and inconsistent um, offensively. You know, they're going to play good defense. They don't want to turn the ball over a lot. Um, but him and Turs are very. They Turs last year had a fantastic team on the Big Ten. But like one word's tough. But they're very similar. But this year, Chris seems to have opened it up a little more offensively, and that's as Tom was pointing out. You're going to have to score some points some nights to beat teams, and you're going to have to play defense because you're not shooting the ball. You're having an off night to survive in advance. And I think both those coaches can do that because they play defense. But but Ohio State was better than I thought last night. They were better than I thought against Iowa. They're starting to become a real believer. They can go to the Final Four. Yeah, Coach, let's take uh, Gonzaga and Baylor out of the equation. We all, all don't know how good they are. And you were talking about Ohio State here. Is there a team you're eyeing or you're starting to see play well where you think they could be the one to make that run and beat a Gonzaga or Baylor in the tournament? Great question. Um, I was at West Virginia, Texas Tech a week ago. Love both coaches. They're, they're, they're very they, – they, they coach differently, but they're very much – very they get along very well. So – both Huggins and Chris Beard said to me, don't even worry about Baylor. Like, they're for real. I watched Gonzaga. I stayed up last night. They, and BYU is pretty good. And they beat BYU handily. I love Suggs. They got a lot of different guys that can score, whether it's Kispert, Ayaya, and Andrew Nino. They, they, they got a nice team. But Suggs is going to be out of there, and he's going to be gone. And he, and he could be the number one pick. He is awfully good. So you take those two out. Do I like Duke? I mean, I'm sorry, Villanova, they're like Duke used to be. Villanova's like, they just got a bunch of guys that can play. I said Duke because they're playing Notre Dame. They're in a, that's a bubble game today. But Villanova's that like old school, Jay Wright's older guy, I think can make a run. There's some good teams playing to Iowa if they can go. But my team is Chris Beard and Texas Tech. So I'd say like Jay Wright's the, the new Coach K type. He's got a couple belts under his, you know, he's got a couple wins on his belt. Uh, Villanova with, with Robinson Earl on them. They're kind of a blue blooder. That's my like blue blooder is Villanova. And then my non blue blooder is Texas Tech. That's the, I just love Chris Beard. I think Mac McClung's got that tournament thing. 
that everybody's going to like. They got Silvo Santa, who transferred from BCU. I've watched them up close. Shannon, I hope he doesn't leave this year, but he could. But they just have a really good team. He coaches well. He's got to the Final Four. He's got to the Elite Eight. He has guys leaving. They replace. So so my blue blooder is Villanova, and my non-blue blooder is Texas Tech. Those will be my two that can go to the Final Four. But I don't know if you guys follow Beard and Texas Tech, and that will be a war tonight. Got to rebound against Huggins. Got to keep him off the boards tonight. Mm-hmm. I just think Chris Beard and what he's done down there and how much he's turned that into like a basketball place where kids want to go, I think Texas Tech can get there. Coach, we talked a little off air going back a couple of weeks ago with West Virginia and Texas Tech. Uh, Oscar Shibway transfers to Kentucky. Namari Burnett leaves Texas Tech, a former five-star recruit for them, was supposed to be a big piece for this Tech team. I mean, credit to Chris Beer because he's recruited back to, in back-to-back years a couple five-stars, which never happened for Texas Tech. So for both of these teams, big picture. So you like Texas Tech long-term to potentially make a Final Four run and even and maybe have a shot to cut down the net. Same thing. I would assume with West Virginia because you like their coach and you like their makeup. But how did these two teams both transform when both of those players left? You know, it's funny because I didn't think Ramsey should have left. Ramsey should have stayed. And I think that's that's got into his program a little where like, okay, you can leave if you're a lottery pick. But now Ramsey should, Jamie Ramsey shouldn't have left. And Huggins, he's got some guys, you know, McBride and those guys could turn pro, but they turn into three and four year guys. But if you don't want to buy in, and that's a big term, you got to buy into what West Virginia is doing, which is play hard, practice hard, hit the offensive glass. And you don't want to buy into Beard, which is scouting. He's a great defensive scout. Don't forget, Chris Beard worked for Bobby Knight. I worked for Gary Williams, okay? He's really, you know, tough guy, intense, running and pressing. He's a day in the park compared to working for Bobby Knight. But yet Beard's kind of turned this thing into a modern day. They, they, they're very good with using numbers to scout. They play music on the court. I bet I've traveled with them when they played Duke. I've traveled with them when they beat Villain, um, Louisville last year. He's a culture guy, whereas Huggins is just a hard-working guy. But you better buy in on that team because nobody's bigger than the team. This is college basketball. And that's why the one-and-done, you know, those guys that came in, and that's, that's why Beard got rid of his guy. He just, hey, you're coming off the bench. We don't care what your rating was. Speaking of which ratings, had, you know, RIP Tom Kachowski, one of the great raiders of the world, one of the great scouts of the world. He could rate players, and he passed away this morning. He started HS, you know, high school basketball scouting index. That meant it was an index card. They had a kid on an index card on every kid. He was with Howard Garfinkel. So he passed away, but he was a fantastic man, but he scouted honestly. Hey, Jimmy, this guy can help you right away in the Mac. Hey, he might be a starter in two years. Well, no parent wants to hear that anymore. Oh, I want my kid to be in one and done. And I don't care if we win. Oh, I want to take in Duke's Duke and Kentucky. Let's face it. Fellows are running to that this year where those freshmen are not as good as advertised. And that happens. Nobody's criticizing. Hey, you roll that dice like that. You know, you're play, You're not playing roulette, but you're definitely playing blackjack, okay? And you can lose. And th- th- those guys aren't ready yet and shouldn't leave. Richard shouldn't have left last year from Kentucky, you know? Like, all of a sudden, these kids want to just go and then go the next thing. Well, Huggins and Beard are like, you're not using our program to get where you want to go without doing what we want. With Beard, it's a culture of scouting. That's why I always like Beard in close games, you know? He's got. He's gonna. He's gonna be. His team is gonna be fully prepared. Huggins' team, as you said, couple bad calls against Gonzaga. They fought Gonzaga hard. They're gonna fight. They're gonna get to the offensive glass, and, and when they get when they get scores from their guard, they can beat anybody. Last time they played, they had a, it was a tremendous game against Texas Tech. 
But no one and duns are coming into that program because they don't really have them that much anyways. But then kids say, oh, I want to go there. Well, it's going to be Coach Beard's way and it's going to be Huggins' way. And whether they talk to you nicely and negotiate with you or Huggins is my way or the highway and he's, you know, an aggressive coach who I love, you got to buy into what they're doing. And, you know, Doc Rivers talked about it. Kevin Garnett bought in and he got Paul Pierce to buy in. And that's why they had a three or four year run with the Celtics. Coach K, whether it was Ferry, his first championship to Leitner, to Hurley buying in. And I thought he had Zion bought in. I, did, I didn't think R.J. Barrett bought in on the defensive end. And yeah, they had some issues as Zion bought in. And But now he's got some kids, whether they're buying in or they're not talented enough, they're on the bubble. And I think Kentucky's hurting. And the Cuse can't seem to get some of these guys. And it's interesting, some of the names. Bill Self's having some issues with, I mean, at least he's in the top 30. I know he got bounced out of the top 25. These kids that think they're going to come in and just put up numbers and leave, coaches are, hey, man, stay two years. But, like, we got to compete because there is Ohio State. There is Colorado. There is Stanford. Hey, Colorado State's playing well. Drake, my buddy Roman Penn, they're undefeated. Loyola Chicago's good. Like, Iowa can play. Wisconsin, he's going to run his swing offense. Seton Hall's going to do it with, with four stars and three stars, but they're going to do what Kevin Willard says. St. John's has done a tremendous job of – this is what we're going to do as a team. And these young kids, I'm not sure, Eli, these young kids understand how hard it is to play because I'm on the AAU circuit. I work for Under Armour. It's fantastic. But come on, high school basketball is a little watered down unless you go to DeMath or IMG or, you know, Compass in Arizona. And my long-winded answer is these young guys don't know how hard it is till they get there. And there's only a few guys like Zion that can really dominate the game. And, and Beard and Huggins, you're just not going to run the program. It's just not going to be all about you. And I applaud them for that. Well, Coach, uh, I'm sitting here literally wearing a Loyola basketball hat. Oh, so, my God. Dude, well, send me your address, and I'll send you all kinds of new stuff from Under Armour, you know? You can <laughs> you can go to the, go over to Amsterdam and hang out there and talk yeah. about Mike Dean and all the great players from Amsterdam on your way to Albany. I know where Johnstown is. You're, you're, what are you, a Syracuse fan? Well, yes, uh, I grew up one, but uh, the I, I coached able... Lawrence Moton in high school. You remember him? Yes, I remember Lawrence Moton. So you know what? Since since you brought up Syracuse, let me ask you this question: Tell me why in 2021 a coach of a major college basketball program won't get out of the two-three zone? You know, it's funny because Cheney just passed away. R.I.P. John Cheney. A lot of coaches have gone down this year. Lou Olson, John Thompson, our legend down here, John. Ch- Cheney and Syracuse were the only two guys we ever played that you just knew they were going to play zone the whole game. You better have your zone offense ready. And I think he's just tried and true. Now, does he have the athletes to play it? Not really. His team's not quite as athletic. I love the kids from, Glen, you know, he's got his son, um, the kid from Glens Falls who can really score it. Um, Gerard. Gerard. Joe Gerard. Joe Gerard. See, him and his son, they're not quick enough to play on the top of that zone. But I think that's – he always plays man-to-man in like that preseason or maybe one game. And then I think him and John Chaney just said, this is what we do, and we're going to play the numbers game. But I'll ask you this, Tom. I'll ask you a question. Do you think that hurts his recruiting? Like I would recruit against Bayheim now and say, do you want to go up there and just play a 2-3 zone the whole time and never get out on the fast break? Maybe maybe that's why they're not getting the recruits. I know Mike Hopkins isn't left, but – Yeah, no, that's – well, and that was kind of my question to you. I thought for, you know, for a while – 
that was fine. But you would think at some point after 40 years, if something isn't working, you could at least switch out. I mean, I remember the game two years ago when Virginia shot like 80% from three. Remember that? Ty Jerome and then went up there? Yes. I mean, I just find it hard to believe a guy as smart as Jim Boeheim can't get out of a zone to play man-to-man midway through a game. doesn't make any sense to me. No, and the problem with zone is when you're you're up, it's great. But when you're down, it's hard to come back. We played some zones, some 3-2 at Maryland and all that. We were running pressing team. But, yes – you go down 39 you know, to 20 or whatever it was against Clemson, you can't come back playing zone, so you're not going to win that game. you know. But he's, let's face it, one of his things up there, whether it was Hopkins or not, he just does it. He used to always have lottery picks to first-rounders, to second-rounders, and I haven't really seen a kid from Syracuse's name on the board in three or four years. You know, not a real legit first-rounder, and you need those guys to, to win games in the ACC because Duke's got them, Carolina's got them. Florida State, don't sleep on him. He's got him. You know, Godfrey had some at NC State. Miami had some interesting guys. Forget about what Louisville had going on, and then they're going to pick it back up. Mike Bray can coach at Notre Dame. You got some guys in that league that are going to get players and can coach. Bayheim can coach, but you better have players. And why he's going to sit in the zone the whole time, I think it's just this is how we roll. The numbers have worked out well for me. I'm a Hall of Fame coach, and I'm not going to change. But kids, I'm out there now in the AAU circuit, and I didn't recruit that much from the AAU circuit before. They're talking. These kids are smarter. You know, they got more info. How my, what's my style of play? How are we gonna, you know, do we go on the road and play a lot of cool games early? You know, I, I know some local teams around here. They've got hurt. They don't. They want to play in the Atlantis. They want to play Kentucky. They want to play, you know, Duke, Carolina, whoever it is. They want to go to these games in the Garden, the Jimmy V Classic. They want, and they want to watch style of play and how many shots am I gonna get? And do we fast break? And so maybe Bayheim's getting caught a little in that because these kids got a lot of info in front of them now. You know, I, I know we talked about Huggins earlier, and I love Bob Huggins. I know you're you're one of his close friends, uh, Coach. But that Kansas game, just a quick note on the zone. In the second half of the first Kansas game, Huggins went to a 2-3 zone and just wouldn't switch out of it. Maybe it was because Shibway and Culver were on the floor. And, and they couldn't match up. They couldn't stick with those Kansas guards in that five-out lineup. But how do you not adjust? I mean, I was frustrated as a West Virginia backer in that game. But, you know, I digress. Remember, he, he went from a, a rugged, full half-court man. He went to press Virginia. He's got away from that. He'll play some zone. But Kansas is missing a superstar. Like, I don't see a superstar on Kansas's team. And maybe Hugs just thought they couldn't shoot as well. But he doesn't want to give up any second shots. And maybe he thought they couldn't rebound out of it. I kind of was watching. That was one of my picks. I actually, I didn't have a good weekend last weekend with um, Nick, our friends on You Better You Bet, who we like. It was it was just one of those things. A couple games went my way. Penn State hit a three, Maryland missed that. But the West Virginia game was a win for me. But Huggins is just, it's about toughness and grit. It's just, they're going to get second shots and they don't want, that's the first thing he teaches if anybody's listening here. You got to understand when you, when you play them, you know, whether it's a betting situation or a regular situation, if you, if you, if you, if you're not a good rebounding team, they're going to get a ton of second shots. And if you don't get to the offensive glass, you're getting no second shots. And that is a big stat. Cause if they get eight, if they get 10 more shots than you, most of those offensive rebounds, by the way, are either are scores or fouls you get to the line. That's the first stat I look at is rebounding when you play West Virginia. No doubt. And to me, this is the best West Virginia team since I think it was 2010 when they beat Kentucky in the Elite Eight with DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall. Deshaun Butler, who I think is doing his own podcast stuff right now, pretty awesome. Truck Bryant, Devin Ebanks. Oh, I love Truck Bryant. I loved him. We played that when I was at Loyola. We were tied at halftime. Huggins went right by me at halftime and said, you keep it up. 
doing a good job. We stink. You're showing us how much we have to get better. I'm like, yes, coach. Yes. Like they were paying us 80 grand to go up there. You know, they paid <laughs> to go up there. And that was that, that was that team. They, 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 that was an excellent team. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I liked his other team that beat Maryland. They beat Maryland to go to the sweet 16, but he's, his guys are going to play hard, but everybody's going to rebound. And Javon Carter's gotten better who played for him. He's a good NBA player because he played for hugs. And I just, I can't say enough about how he has adjusted to different situations of the game. No doubt. So my last question for you, I know you mentioned Nick Costos and you better, you bet. I can't talk Greek to you, but I can't ask you a question about mid-majors here. Which program among the mid-major schools that have a shot to make the tournament, mentioned Drake, Roman Penn, you coached at Siena for a bit before he transferred to Drake. Loyola Chicago, to me, is the best team in that Missouri Valley Conference and probably the best mid-major team overall. He's won like 11 in a row, right? I love Porter. I know Porter, good guy. No doubt. Yeah, he. I mean, he took that Loyola team to the Final Four a few years back. They're better than they were that year, and they had some great transfers with Clayton Custer, and Krutwig was a freshman that year, but he was still an elite passing big. I, I think them, Drake, Colorado State, you got to look at them. UMBC for us around here, Ryan Odom's doing a great job. They, they, they have to take the, them in Vermont. Now, they'll be a 15-16 seed, so that's tougher. No Ivy League hurts. The Patriot, the Navy, the Navy team could upset somebody first. Ed DeCello's doing a really good job. Whether they can beat Colgate, another upstate New York team for Tom. They have Colgate and them. They can't make runs like Loyola. Those mid-majors can't make runs like these guys. Normally St. Mary's, I love Randy Bennett, but he's just not having the year. They lost Jordan and they lost a couple players from that team last year. Another guy that left early was their forward. I don't think anybody can beat the big boys this year except I have to watch Loyola. And even though I love Roman Penn, Roman Penn was a great kid. I had him for a year and a half when I left. He left. I didn't tell him to leave. He left on his own. But great kid. I don't think Drake. But Loyola Chicago, with who they're beating and how they're beating, I would have to say they're really an interesting team. Gonzaga hates it when you call them a mid-major because they're not. But that's the only sport they play is basketball. Those are those are the guys. I think I wouldn't want to play Seton Hall. I like Sandro. Sandro's a really good 6'11 foreman. They just got, they got Kale. They got a couple guys. They're really tough. But Colorado State's going to be my sneak one with Nico Medved, you know? He's got a couple of these guys, Roddy, Stevens. They got a good point guard. They got a the small point guard from Canada. Colorado State's my little one that no one knows about. And they're going to make the tourney. By the way, the Mountain West is going to get three or four teams in. That's my little sneak mid-major, even though, you know, they have football and everything. Colorado State's my little sneak team to keep watching. They're going to beat New Mexico. Something's going wrong in New Mexico. I don't know. That's always their, their favorite by 18 tonight, and I think I'd take them. I just don't know what's going on out there, but, like, all of a sudden, Utah State's really good, and we know San Diego State's really good, but your friend and Eli, you like Boise State's really They could have four teams in the Mountain West, and they're not a blue blooder, you know? So so that that's my little group that I really like there. You know, I don't think the – you know, the CAA champ Northeastern, I really like Bill Cohen. Those guys can win a game. They can't make a run. Loyola, Chicago, and Colorado State, they got size and depth. Those two teams can make a run. I don't know if Sister Jean's still with us, but if they have Sister Jean back, Loyola, Chicago, and but they do have a really good team, and he's done a good job. He's kind of passed Northwestern and DePaul out there oh, yeah. as the team in Chicago, and you got to give him credit for that. It's not even close. Like he almost took the St. John's job and then Mark and then Mike Anderson got it when he turned it down and came back to Loyola. Like that three that Dante Ingram hit against Miami, Custer came back against Tennessee and hit that shot. 
And then I think it was, who was oh, Marcus Towns hit the big shot against Nevada in the Sweet 16. I, I covered that Loyola Chicago team. Porter's an excellent coach. They had Brian Mullins, who's the now the head coach at, at uh, Southern Illinois. Yes, I know his father's a great guy. Mike Mullins, is, he's, done, he's had tons of great players on his AAU circuit in Chicago. Fantastic guy. Yes, that was his son that's down there. They, but they did. They made a lot of shots, but he can coach, you know, and he's, and I, I like it. He said, I'm going to stay here in the Missouri Valley. And I wonder if Wichita State misses the Missouri Valley because they're like, oh, well, we went 30 and four and got a seven seed. Well, now, now you're in the American, which is only a two bid league, and Houston's going to be one of them. And now it's, it's, I liked Wichita. I don't think Wichita State should have left. So I think they're smart to stay in there and just have a really great record and all that kind of stuff. So I got to ask you, I want to ask you guys, how real is St. John's? What he's done is fantastic. How Posh Alexander, the freshman, how real do you guys think St. John's is? Well, I was just going to say, I think they're, I don't know how, if they can make a run in the tournament. The, I think they might be a next year team. I know Eli and I went against them with Providence. That didn't, Me too. I was, that was my lock. <laughs> I figured they'd fall on their face. Come on. Uh, but no, I, I thought that was an impressive win though by St. John's because again, that's a spot where they probably lose coming off a big win. So that showed me something. You know, I think that falls into the, maybe they win a game or two in the tournament, but I don't see them making a big run. But you think they can win, Eli? You think they make the tournament? Man, they have a tough game against Butler tonight. That's an underrated Butler team defensively, Aaron Thompson. But if they trap him, I mean, the rest of Butler's offense pretty much sucks. I know. See, I would think I'm not going to go against them. I actually like St. John's. I like Auburn tonight. I like Texas Tech. But I think St. John's is better than Butler. But, I mean, they're on the road, whatever that means this year, because there's no road. But I think they play their way in. The last game of the year for you, you know, people watching the down – St. John's Seton Hall is the last game of the year in the Big East, and that might be like a pivotal game, you know, crazy game. And who would have thought that a, week, a couple of weeks ago? But, yes, yeah, St. John's, they're ahead of schedule. Interesting. I do have to comment on your VCU Bonnies. I think I saw that game before. Love Mark Schmidt, no roads. Bonnies, another upstate New York one for you, Tom. I won in St. Bonaventure twice. Hard place to win, okay? Because I'm not really sure if the state troopers are going to let you out if you win. It's a little like <laughs> over in the southern tier. <laughs> They kind of give you that look like good win, but don't you come back here again. I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> he's done a fantastic job, Mark Schmidt. But I think the way VCU lost last time, that VCU beats him because I know you guys like the Bonnies. I just I think VCU is really good. But the A-10 right now is a one-bid league, I got, and I don't want to keep up all your time, but it's going to be a wild stretch. You know, the Terrapins have seven games. they got to win five or seven. They're probably – the tournaments are supposed to all be played. You're going to have to win a tournament game. But I love this time of year because there's so much bubble movement. But I think it's a shame that people are saying the a 10s only getting one team in because it's a better league. I think they deserve two or three. I'm the kind of guy that's like, I'd rather have them in than the ninth team from the Big Ten or whatever. I think it's more exciting. But that's a big game. But I like VCU against you guys. I like VCU at home. All right. A little Beck QL. You head-to-head with former college basketball coach, Jimmy Patsos, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach Patsos, the former Maryland assistant, Loyola, Maryland, in the MAC and Patriot League, of course, and then also at Siena, now current NBC Sports Washington analyst. Really appreciate the time. Some great college basketball tales and breakdown, Coach. We got to have you back on sometime soon. Eli, Tom, thanks so much. I'll be on whenever you want. Going to be a great, going to be a great February. Heading, heading into a great March. I already booked my ticket to Indianapolis. Take care. Love it. That was a fun podcast, man. We went a little long. I know you said you were making fun of me for saying these podcasts were going to be thirty minutes. Now we're over an hour recording well, time. Let me tell you something right now. 
No podcast with Eli and Coach Patsos is going 30 minutes. That I know for a fact. That's a, That was a great job by the coach. I mean, listen, he, he likes Colorado State. He loves the Patriot League. He criticized Jim Beheim for running the 2-3. It's like the best day of my life. See, I was hoping for some Mark Turgeon hate, and I didn't get it. But that's okay. Maybe next time when Coach joins us on the podcast. But uh, fun show, man. Hopefully our bets go well this week, and we'll be back you can follow at BetQL app on Twitter to find us on Saturday morning. We're talking college hoops to break down the Saturday card live on Twitter, some Sunday spots as well. So we'll be back on Sunday or Saturday morning, that is, uh, for Thomas Casali at the Tom Casali on Twitter. I'm Eli Herskovich at Eli Herskovich on Twitter. This is BetQLU presented by BetQL.